0: Coming up on the FSR Sark Fighter podcast: A case of cardiac sarcoidosis.
1: Because my heart rate was so low at night um, that they were really worried that that it, my heart would stop.
0: Andy Locker is a systems engineer who may one day actually help you take a ride in an automated drone. But while he looks to our future, he is fighting sarcoidosis. As I said, in his heart and also his lungs
1: one day i got up and uh it didn't dissipate it was getting worse and i'm like I, I i should get i should go sit down and i was heading to to sit down and i i collapsed
0: it's all coming up on the award-winning fsr Sark fighter podcast
1: this is the Sark fighter podcast living with sarcoidosis and other rare diseases here's your
0: host john carlin Hello and welcome to episode 101 of the FSR Sark Fighter podcast. I'm your host, John Carlin. It is Thanksgiving week of 2023. I can't believe it. The year has flown by. And I hope you have a great Thanksgiving. Uh, If you're traveling, and you know, I work in TV news, and we've been doing all the stories about this is the year, all the record numbers on the highways, in the air. Um, and if you are traveling, I hope you're not stuck in traffic, but it occurs to me that I listen to a lot of my podcasts uh, while I'm in the car, so maybe you're in the car right now listening. If you are, I hope you're traveling well. Maybe you're uh, on a flight or you're in the airport waiting for one, and it, it also occurs to me that maybe you just, uh, maybe you're visiting relatives and you are sneaking away just to listen to something, <laughs> so uh, doing something, uh, something to just get away from all the people sitting on the couch and watching football. I don't know, uh, but uh, no matter what it is, I hope you're having a great Thanksgiving. And uh, we're looking forward to one here, and let's let's hope that sarcoidosis doesn't mess things up too much for you. Uh, I can tell you, I'll be I'll be eating as normal this year. Uh, probably eat too much, then go find a quiet place and and nap for twenty minutes or so. Get get in and out of my food coma. Uh, but then, uh, so after Thanksgiving, we are taking the grandchildren to a kids resort outside. Williamsburg. I think it's called the Great Wolf Lodge um, outside Williamsburg, Virginia for the three days after Thanksgiving. So uh, yeah, we'll see how that goes. It's going to be a lot of cars. Uh, it's about a five-hour drive for us, four to five hours uh, if there's not any traffic. But I'm so grateful for all those grandchildren, of course, that this hopefully will, will go well. Although a bunch of us have the sniffles um, a couple of the grandkids have tested positive for COVID. There should be time for that to time out so that if the rest of the family doesn't get it, uh, then we can all go and be together. Um, we, I'm just kind of taking it one day at a time right now. But it, it really is a, a time of year to be thankful. Um, I, I did, so I'll just share a couple of things because that that's what you're supposed to do this time of year. But Uh, sarcoidosis wise, you know, I think that right now I uh, have been either controlled or in remission for a number of years. Uh, Again, I can't do everything that I used to, and I still feel twinges here and there. Um, Related to sarcoidosis, I still take my medication regularly, daily. uh, In some cases, but for instance, we have a turkey trot here in Roanoke. It's called the Drumstick Dash, and it supports uh, the homeless shelter here in town, the 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 mission, uh, and I, over ten thousand people run in this thing. It's it's the biggest, quote unquote, race that we have in Roanoke every year. And for years and years, I would run it, and I would try to see what kind of a time I could get. And you know, back when I was running regularly, I could I could run this and. Mm. 22 minutes, and I felt pretty good about that. That's not my 5K PR. Uh, I was under 20 minutes for that years and years and years ago. But but you know, but now uh, I don't run well anymore because of sarcoidosis. My legs don't function the way they should. But I will be perfectly happy pushing a stroller with some grandkids in it. That'll be fine, and I'll be there. I'll be participating. And probably instead of focusing on me and my time, focusing on the grandkids is uh, a better way to to find happiness. So, uh, but that's that's certainly something that, that I'm thankful for. That I've I've kind of come full circle. Uh, I, I not only do I accept it, but I relish it, uh, and so that's good. I would say the same thing with you know you t- you hear me talk about riding my bike a lot, and my guest today, Andy, will be talking about riding his bike. Uh, but the fact is, is that even though I don't run, I still ride and I was out, we've got a nice late summerish fall here, temperatures in the sixties. And I was out riding my mountain bike yesterday and still able to ride over some roots and rocks and some pretty technical stuff. And, you know, and just, and just really enjoying that. And, and I'm, and I'm thankful for it. All right. And of course I, I mentioned my grandkids, but, You know, my sons and daughters-in-law and my wife, Mary, uh, you know, it's just uh, I've been I've been extremely fortunate and I have to recognize that. And speaking of that, you know, my mom and dad are both in their late 80s. They're both still with us and living on our family hobby farm, 50 acres up in central New York outside Utica, if that means anything to anybody. And I talk to them quite often. My mom's health is coming and going, but she's She's still sharp as attack and, and and so um and, and I'll be hopefully going up to visit them over the Christmas holidays. And I've got to mention my two dogs. You hear me mention Dougal all the time because he's very active, and as I as I speak, he is curled up on the chair in my office. And then we have a little terrier mix named Pippa. I don't talk about her as much. She's an older dog and just kind of kind of sits by herself a lot, but she still has a feisty sort of terrier personality. And, and, uh, and I love them both dearly. All right. I hope you are uh, enjoying the podcast. Before we get to my interview with Andy today, which I think you're going to like, just want to ask you to help me reach more people so FSR can be as effective as possible. And it just helps me grow the show. Uh, if you'll share it on your social media or just tell one person about it. Okay. I really appreciate that. All right. My interview with Andy Locker, Is going to resonate with you if you have sarcoidosis. He reached out to me via email, uh, and this came after my conversation with Tony Haskell over the summer. Tony's also a SARC patient, and Andy wrote, I'm writing to you today to let you know how much I've enjoyed your podcast. Thank you. Uh, I discovered it about three months ago, and I've been listening since. I find your style engaging and the topics informing, inspiring, and reassuring. Awesome. That's great. Thank you. That's that's why I do this. Uh, but he continues, uh, having a rare disease that few have heard of can be very isolating, and you're humanizing the disease with personal stories, your own included, helps normalize the disease and offers a sense of connection. And he writes, I just listened to your interview with Tony Haskell, who seems to have had some of really the similar experiences as I have had. And then he continued later in his email, he said, my bingo card of specialists, I like that bingo card, my bingo card of specialists includes two cardiologists, an electrophysiologist, a pulmonologist, ophthalmologist, endocrinologist, rheumatologist, neurologist, ENT, and soon a gastroenterologist. And I have had countless scans and one biopsy, and then he puts in parentheses in his lungs. Uh, I have continued to have issues with balance, lightheadedness, and tinnitus, or tinnitus, which is that ringing in your ears. He says, but I consider myself fortunate. He says, I continue to read and learn about my disease, and given my technical background and interests, my doctors share academic papers with me. By the way, I would certainly be interested in participating in future sarcoidosis-themed bike rides thanks again for humanizing the disease and reducing the isolation feelings by offering a connection well Andy thank you so much for that email of course I reached back out to Andy and we had a much more in-depth conversation and that's coming up next here on the FSR Sark Fighter podcast Just feeding stumble Hi, I hope you're enjoying the Sark Fighter Podcast. You may be wondering, what can I do to help? How can I be a part of the Sarcoidosis solution? It's simple. Make a donation to KISS. Kick in to stop sarcoidosis. 100% of the money goes to the Foundation welcome for back Sarcoidosis to yes, Research. Podcast. Look for a link mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. show notes of the Sarcoidosis podcast. podcast. Thank you very much, John. Yeah, so you were diagnosed, what, a little over two years ago? Uh,
1: well, my my saga started a little over two, two years ago. I actually was diagnosed about a year and a half ago uh, half. with Sarcoidosis. So,
0: so, okay. so you knew something was wrong, and then it took a while to figure out what it is. Welcome, welcome to sarcoidosis, right?
1: I, and from what I understand, a year is pretty quick it is. to um, uh, to finding out what's what's causing the problems that you're having. And I, I feel, to be quite frank, fortunate in that it only took a year for it to be figured out.
0: So, how did you know something was wrong?
1: Well, um, uh, I, I'm a kind of analytic data kind of guy. And I love data. And I do some exercise activities. And I collect data while I'm exercising. Um, you know, I exercise for data, uh, one could say. And my wife is similar in that respect. And we were on a bike ride. And um, when we come to a stoplight, our tradition is, we call out our heart rates. And um You know, and this started when we used to ride a tandem together. um, And that was a way to tell, you know, who's working harder um, because speed doesn't matter because you're together. The only thing that really matters is heart rate. And my heart rate was usually tracks pretty well with my wife. And mine was 30 beats per minute higher than hers. Okay, that seemed odd. And I said, oh, it must be an instrumentation problem. And, you know, we pull up to the next stoplight. Same thing. And my heart rate is way higher than it normally is. It's just through the roof.
0: And the and exertion I, is the same as it always was, but the heart rate is higher.
1: Right. Higher, higher right. Like, right. like record-setting high wow. um, uh, for me. And um, I, I think it, was in, it ended up getting over 200 beats mm-hmm. per minute. Um, and And so I knew something's not right. And when we stopped and, you know, I... Put my watch back on, um, and I take my heart rate, and um, it's still in the one thirties. And so I knew something wasn't right, and um, uh, I ended up going to the emergency room, and was um, diagnosed with atrial flutter. And um, you know, sudden onset atrial flutter just seems weird, but um, I ended up having an ablation to uh, treat the flutter. The first ablation didn't take, so I had a second ablation to treat the flutter. And I thought it was just, you know, I'm having a heart problem. And, but I continued, I had really no other symptoms except an occasional um, chest tightness. Mm -hmm. Other than that, I wouldn't have known I had atrial flutter other than the fact that I I had, you know, collecting data through a heart rate monitor for for exercise. And so um, the uh, chest tightness continued. And my cardiologist ordered more tests because he was concerned that maybe there was some other underlying heart issue. And ultimately, through some of the other tests they were doing, they saw uh, uh, lesions on my lungs that gave them concern. So that prompted some lung tests and then um, some other scans, which they said, you know, you either have one or two things. You either have lympho- uh, 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 a lymphoma or scar- sarcoidosis. And they did a biopsy to determine which. Uh, bronchoscopy, um, where they actually sampled the, the tissue in my lungs. right? And they diagnosed me with um, a pulmonary sarcoidosis. Uh, at the same time, I was continuing to have you know arrhythmias, even though the uh, atrial flutter was solved through an ablation. I had other arrhythmias occasionally. And it just so happened that a cardiac sarcoidosis specialist was starting to see patients in the same office as my cardiologist was seeing patients. Hmm. And um, they said, you should go see this cardiac sarcoidosis doctor. And he says, yeah, it could be sarcoidosis in your, your heart as well. They ordered other tests, um, you know, by the, by this point, you know, since I had pulmonary sarcoidosis, I started on prednisone as the, you know, treatment of, of first choice. At pair. First line right. of defense, so, yep. Right. And so I was already on prednisone and I was, you know, starting to see a, a cardiac sarcoidosis a doctor. And it appears that the prednisone was working because when they did the uh, cardiac MRI and the uh, CAT scans. The three or four months in between pulmonary sarcoidosis diagnosis and these scans, uh, I didn't uh, show a positive indication of cardiac sarcoidosis, which was good news. Because
0: the prednisone was working.
1: But apparently. Everywhere um, in they, your,
0: everywhere in your body.
1: Right. And so they started me um, uh, as a uh, tapering off of the prednisone and arrhythmia has returned uh, back. And um, uh, more serious arrhythmias uh, to the point where my doctor actually called me in, you know, when they had me on a halter monitor Mm -hmm. and um, when the halter monitor was returned after two weeks and they were alarmed because my heart rate was so low at night um, that they were really worried that that my heart would stop um, Mm -hmm. and I have a sudden cardiac death. And they recommended a pacemaker and an ICD. And um, within a week, I had the pacemaker uh, and ICD installed. And I, you know, it, 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 luckily, I have not been um, shocked yet by the ICD. Uh, but the pacemaker is, I am still rather dependent on the pacemaker uh, for, you know, otherwise my, my heart rate would be in the 50s or, or below as a resting heart rate. Uh, which yep. is uh, of concern to them uh yeah. well, what I would also what have... your
0: resting heart rate be I mean pre sarcoidosis when you're doing your bike rides and you were fit and everything what was yeah. your just you know sitting sitting down watching TV resting heart rate
1: it, it was in the mid 50s yeah. um upper 50s but I you know I was seeing heart rates in the 40s right. um and um there was one point where it was in the 30s um when I was wearing the halter monitor and so they they were they were concerned, I, and I am grateful for a a attentive, uh, you know, uh, competent team of doctors. Um, I have quite the um bingo card full of different kinds of specialists. Um, because you know, in addition to um, being in my heart, and my lungs, um, the the latest is uh, I just actually found out this morning it appears to be in my spleen as well. Um. And um, I have other symptoms which are unexplained uh, from the uh, sarcoidosis, what we think from the sarcoidosis. I have um, lightheadedness and uh, dizziness uh, on a regular basis and I have balance problems. Uh, And this occurs when I have been sitting for a while and I stand and I have actually um, passed out um, uh, and was injured, um, uh, in, in passing out, um, uh, uh, on that one occasion. So it's so something tell, I'm trying to avoid.
0: Tell me about it. You stand up and you're lightheaded and that's when you pass out. Is that what happens?
1: Yeah. What, what, what's happening is I, I stand if I'm sitting for a little while. So, mm-hmm. uh, let's say, you know, sitting, doing a podcast interview, uh, and then I stand up to, to go get, uh, a, another cup of coffee. I may feel lightheaded upon standing for for you know 10 20 30 seconds right. it's getting a little bit better um but um it was it was pretty bad at the same time i also get a throbbing in my ears um mm. and um uh, sound is is going in and out and this is something i didn't have before this is something that started um after i got the pacemaker to be quite frank and it's you know it was getting pretty bad i, I was doing what i while powering through, I'd feel dizzy and my ears are throbbing. And, you know, if there's any white noise, you know, the sound is going in and out. And then, you know, after 30 seconds to a minute, it dissipates. Well, one day I got up and, uh, it didn't dissipate. It was getting worse. And I'm like, I, I, I should get, I should go sit down. And I was heading to, to sit down and I, I collapsed. And, um, mm. um, pretty severely injured one of my legs in the process of collapsing. I was lucky I didn't hit my head.
0: Uh, that's just, a, just because of the way you fell, like you fell on your leg awkwardly or something like that?
1: I, I guess so. Um, yeah. You know, I was not exactly paying attention to what was happening when I, cause I was unconscious when I fell, but somehow I injured my leg I, either twisting or, or banging probably some sort of twisting action. Um, I was on L ele- because of my uh, arrhythmias and my atrial uh, fibrillation. I'm on Eliquis, so the bruising is pretty
0: Look, a blood significant, thinner, right?
1: Yeah, it, yeah, it's a blood thinner, and right. so it, was, it looked pretty ugly too uh, after a couple of days. But it was rather painful. I had to walk with a cane uh, for for a couple of weeks, yeah. and you know, and 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 I recovered, and I'm getting better at managing the dizziness. Uh, but it still it still happens, and the the ear throbbing still happens on a a regular basis. And I have a little bit of tinnitus as well. I've had an MRI, um, uh, uh, brain MRI and an ear canal MRI. I got the results of the ear canal MRI, and that looks clear. Um, uh, the uh, brain MRI, I didn't see the
0: results yet. So. so, wow. So, so you know, you've got to confirm that you have cardiac SARC and pulmonary SARC. And you and and now in your spleen, you just found that out this morning. Um, uh, How how do they know to look on your spleen? What are the symptoms associated with that?
1: Well, they weren't looking at my spleen. They were Um. looking. They they did my you know uh, periodic uh, CAT scan um, to see you know how the disease is spreading in you know and and where it is in my heart. And uh, they just you know it's a, a scan from your you know basically your chin to your thigh. Uh, and they picked up activity not only in my spleen, but in my colon as well. So uh, the, the, the report said that it, or at least my doctor told me that the um, radiologist says what, what he's seeing from the spleen seems consistent with uh, sarcoidosis in the spleen. So it's, it, it's not a, you know, uh, I, my understanding, and I'm no expert, but my understanding is the only way to really confirm a sarcoidosis diagnosis is through a biopsy. Yeah. It's it's it can see it, it, the uh observation is consistent with what would be sarcodosis. Same thing with cardiac sarcodosis. I haven't had a biopsy on my heart. This is, you know, the symptoms and behaviors are consistent with c- cardiac sarcodosis. So it's our well, I think what they call a probable diagnosis of cardiac sarcodosis.
0: Hmm. Okay. So are you still taking prednisone or or anything I, I, just just for sarcoidosis?
1: I am um uh, the prednisone uh, the tapering of the prednisone hasn't gone well because um uh, my adrenal gland has stopped producing the cortisol and so um I'm doing a very slow taper and I've uh do using a, a steroid sparing uh, therapy, uh, and my doctor is, uh, prescribing mexotrexate for that. Mm-hmm. And, um, they're pretty pleased with how, I'm, well, first of all, I'm tolerating mexotrexate fine. And, good. um, good. And, and so that seems to be going well. And like I said, I, I really feel like I have a good team. Um, one of the things that I've started to do is, um, try to keep all of my doctors in the same, you know, uh, uh system if you will yeah and uh yeah you know, i live outside of washington dc and um you know i'm very fortunate that uh we have a hospital center in in washington dc that that has uh experts in sarcoidosis sp- specifically cardiac sarcoidosis
0: uh-huh
1: and so which, which hospital doctors, is that which uh, is the MedStar uh hospital system okay. okay you know and there's another uh kind of center of expertise at john hopkins university hopkins Um, yeah
0: that's exactly um,
1: and and many of the doctors at at medsar um uh, studied at john hopkins okay and so uh i'm i'm fortunate that you know i have a i live outside of a large city and you know it's it's an hour to get down to the hospital but uh, at least it's only an hour away and i um, i'm trying to keep most of my specialists in the medsar system and like i said my my bingo card of specialists you know between rheumatologists and pulmonologists and uh i have uh, endocrinologist uh, ear nose and throat um you know it, it it seems like i have just about everything uh specialist neurologist as well uh, right they're looking about what's what's causing my dizziness
0: yeah so that that neurosarc would be I would think would be it unless it has something to do with the tinnitus because your ear is what maintains your balance. But right. You know, who knows? Who knows? It's uh, and sarcoidosis is just so mysterious, which is one of the the frustrating things about it. So you, you had mentioned when you first contacted me that you were you like the podcast because you were able to listen to other people and feel a little less isolated because if you're like, most people you don't know anybody else with sarcoidosis is number one is that true and uh, number two how how has um how has it helped to find other people with sar
1: well you you are 100% right um i i do feel like i know one person who has sarcoidosis you um <laughs>
0: <laughs> right yeah
1: so um i there's not a lot of people uh, around with sarcoidosis um there is a support group um uh, the the clinic i go to um uh, through the uh, FSR, uh, they actually have a support group that they're mm-hmm. running. Um, uh, and it is, they're doing the support group in person. Uh, it's not super well attended, uh, but it's a, another opportunity to meet and talk to others who, who share the disease. And actually, to be quite frank, listening to your podcast was a way that I felt connected to, you know, I'm, I'm not alone. There, there are other people, you know, And listening, even in the the support group, I'm listening to other people's stories and I'm like, wow, they have it much worse than me. You know, that I, you know, I'm not saying, you know, I'm having it easy, but there are others who have suffered way more. There are others who've taken, you know, you know, multiple years. One woman I heard from, it took over a decade before she was diagnosed with sarcoidosis Mm -hmm. and that she was having symptoms. Um, And so, you know, I feel grateful when I hear these stories and it, it it it's uplifting too to hear how others have dealt with adversity adversity and persevered and are able to you know you you're a good example you you're continuing in your career and you know your your travels to Arizona I think it was that Texas uh, Texas yeah. um in the heat you you know you're still having to deal with with you know challenges and difficulties but um you you do it um and you know that's that's amazing and that i think it's good to hear other people's stories uh, uh in that respect and i think that's a service your podcast is providing to our community
0: great well i i do appreciate that thank you so much and that's that's why I do it. Uh, I just, when I was diagnosed, I couldn't find anything out about it. And I, and, and as people have heard me say before, I'm trying to find a reasonable voice for sarcoidosis. People, people will get online and they'll, they'll be angry. They'll be mad. The, you know, and and so you hear, you hear the, you kind of see the worst version of people of, of, of that particular person, because it, it takes a lot to just get on there and then just have that rage just sort of come through on the keyboard. Um, and so I was seeing a lot of stuff that I thought, man, this is, this is really concerning me. I, I, I need to get out there and kind of, you know, play the journalist role a little bit, um, and, and just get real stories and, 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 and have people listen and hear the whole person, you know? Um, so you get it, get it in context. And I think that's important. And it takes, you know, it takes a, a long interview to do that, in my opinion. Um, not just one comment, not just one soundbite, which TV news is often criticized for, rightly so in many cases. So that's, that's kind of why I started the podcast. And it's very gratifying to hear that it's helped people, um, you know, and I appreciate you bringing it up. Um, so, Andy, but, you know, you have a, a very interesting job and I want to deviate just a little bit from the sarcoidosis discussion, so people know who they're listening to. You're one of the guys who's out there looking at unmanned aircraft, and and what the rules are, and what the regulations are, and what the success or failure is uh, of of drones flying around. And uh, I, I do I do I dare say airplanes flying around without a pilot. What what is it that you're looking at when you talk about autonomous aircraft?
1: Well, uh, first of all, my, my area of expertise is, is autonomous vehicles and unmanned aircraft. A lot of people call them drones. Um, and I've been involved in this space for almost 25 years. And the key is that I've come at it from a, a safety standpoint. Um, my role is to figure out how this technology works and how we can enable this technology to be utilized in a safe manner. Uh, I often describe my role as being kind of at the intersection between technology, policy, and operations. And I kind of deal a little bit with all all of those uh, aspects. I've been involved in writing the regulations for enabling unmanned aircraft to operate. I've been involved with uh, research into the technology. And also what it means operationally for for the humans, you know, just because the aircraft's unmanned, it doesn't mean there's no humans involved and how the humans would be involved. And so I do, um, I do write papers. I do speak at conferences. In fact, I had to, when I had my pacemaker installed, I had to, um, you know, call and say to, you know, they was pretty much an emergency, uh, 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 installation of the, the pacemaker uh, I had to cancel a, a trip to a conference where mm-hmm. I was speaking on several panels I was moderating a panel um, and I had to um, you know cancel all of my participation I had to, in, in in some instances I found people to substitute for me etc and so my condition has impacted my work in that manner I've had to you know alter uh certain things so, so, so that trip was canceled when i canceled the trip people say why are you canceling the trip well i have to have a, a medical procedure and you know i have to explain and when you have to say oh well, i have sarcoidosis no one knows what that is you know and um so mm-hmm. i usually just leave it as you know i'm, I'm having a heart issues because this is too long an explanation right um, you know, and uh you know for those that i am uh, sharing my my situation with, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. so you know it, it does impact. But what's ironic to me, and this is where I'm intellectually curious, where my two worlds come together, is software assurance. You know, uh, autonomous aircraft software is all it, it's all about the software, and software assurance is a critical part of what I deal with on a regular basis. You know, I've helped write. Standards related to software assurance. I've helped do software assurance research. Well, now I have a device inside me, where my life is literally dependent on software, right? Because it it is keeping and and functioning you know, inside me. And so the you know the world of aviation and the world of healthcare often intersect in terms of how we treat uh, the reliability of of systems and products that are life critical, you know, software assurance for the medical field often followed the software assurance practices of the aviation field. And even some of the ways we, we treat aviation safety and processes are being copied by, by the medical field and vice versa. And so my two worlds came together. And so, Hmm. you know, in, in some of my, you know, uh, I am now literally, um, uh, dependent on, on an autonomous system that is functioning inside me um and um, you know that that irony hasn't been lost on me in that I am now looking toward you know uh, a much more complex uh, environment uh, of an operation of a vehicle in the airspace how that could be done safely as well
0: you know that, the, that, the,
1: yeah. the the ICD pacemaker inside me is simplistic. Compared to the flight of an aircraft.
0: Oh, I I would think so. I guess I guess I would think so. I mean, that that device inside you has to detect if there is a problem with your heart, and then it has to react in a certain way. And it is basically a trigger, so it's on or off. I would assume. Um, mm-hmm. And then it's bounded.
1: Uh, right? Its behavior is bounded. Um, okay, you know, bounded. It, that's you know...
0: that's that's a data term. Bounded. Right. Right.
1: You know, it could only do, you know, it could only do it could fire or not fire. Right. It can uh, fire the ICD or not, you know, right. And hopefully it doesn't fire the, 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 the defibrillator. Um, cause I, my understanding is that's not pleasant. Um,
0: no, that's, I've heard that from many people with cardiac sarc. that when that defibrillator goes off, you, you will write that. You, you will remember that day forever. Um, yeah. I,
1: I've talked, talked to, yep. um, actually, uh, A um, friend of uh, my son-in-law's who has uh, a defibrillator inside of him and heard his experience of when it's gone
0: off. Yeah. Wow. So, but I got to ask you a drone question because you and I, before we started recording... Uh, And I, I live uh, just outside of Blacksburg where Virginia tech is, and they've got a big center there where they're researching drones. And you and I have, have a a person that we know in common named Tombo Jones. I interviewed him for a story on drones, I guess a couple of years ago now. Uh, But he was saying back then that the technology is now there. If we wanted to start, flying people around where a drone could come to something like a bus stop and people would get on the drone and then fly to a bus stop downtown and get off and walk to work. The technology is already there to do that. Is that correct? I mean, do you agree that uh, let's take safety out of it for a minute? If it's just purely technology, that technology already exists.
1: The the technology to do it exists. The technology to do it in a demonstrably safe way that is within an acceptable level of risk that's what we are still working on right. we have to be able to not only know that the technology works but that the technology won't fail in an unacceptable way and that's the the challenge and the other challenge is um uh, you know and i like to make analogies when you're driving on the road creating a car to drive on the road that's that technology exists mm-hmm. creating a car that could drive on the road with other people that are driving on the road or a road that can include animals coming across or children coming across or pedestrians coming across the road. It's the integration with the environment that is not a controlled environment is a challenge. So the, auto- the technology to enable an automatic or, or highly autonomous type of operation exists, it's the, um, the ability to do it reliably in a complex world, is Mm -hmm. what we're still uh, refining and be able to demonstrate that reliability as well. And so, you know, in some environments, like a military environment, the technology is being used today, uh, in a highly autonomous flight. But that you know, the risk, the acceptance of risk in a military application is different than the acceptance of risk in a civil ap- application. And so you and I, when we get on an airplane, we have an expectation of safety that, you know, has to be met. Yep, Which is different than the military expectation.
0: Understandable. Yep. Understandable. Um, well, you know, I've, I've, uh, I've also done a story on self-driving cars because that's a big thing. Again, going back to Virginia tech and, and making the car go. Uh, and I've assumed this is true for, f- for flying vehicles, of various descriptions as well, Uh, making the car go, making the car stop, making the car stay in its lane, that type of thing. That's relatively easy. It's when the car or the system, the automatic system has to choose between two bad options that it becomes a problem. So uh, a bad actor uh, walks out in front of the car, does the car then know to swerve but if it swerves, it's going to hit a phone pole, or it's going to come into oncoming traffic. So, do you hit the pedestrian, or, or do you swerve into oncoming traffic? And, and no one knows ethically what's the correct decision, and no one knows how to program the car on what decision to make. Right. Well,
1: that that's a problem that people often talk about. Uh, it's a what you just described as a variation, of what they call the trolley problem, um, which came okay. uh, um, actually. There's a a, a TV show that uh uh illustrated this wheel well called the um the good place i think it was
0: okay um, mm-hmm. but the i remember the show was, but i never i never watched it but go ahead yep
1: it, it was there was a you know you you a trolley's going down the tracks and if it keeps going down the tracks it's going to kill five people but if you flip the switch you can put it on a different track and it will just kill one person mm-hmm. do you leave it on the track it's going on and do nothing and five people die or do you flip the switch and kill one person but now you're making the decision to kill one person Mm -hmm. um and so that's the trolley problem and what you just described was a variation on the trolley problem but that really isn't what i think the the holdup is, is is the holdup is dealing with the complex environment of the unexpected and and the variances uh, on the unexpected is really where the challenge is. And so there's a hundred different ways people step off the the curb into a crosswalk. Um, There's a thousand different ways. There's 10,000 different ways. When you get into the details, um, the variance is so high. I was just reading uh, accident reports of uh, a self-driving car in San Francisco that in the space of two weeks hit two different pedestrians. In, cross, in crosswalks, um, including running over one of those pedestrians. And so these are accidents that, um, you know, would a human driver have made the same mistake? Probably we'll see these systems are, are and we're observing them, they're failing differently than how people fail. And mm-hmm. so the, the the things that you would fail at as a driver is not the things that a a self-driving car would fail out, and the same thing with a self-flying aircraft or self-piloting aircraft. The things it will fail out will be different than uh, the things that person fails at. And so, these are the things I get to deal with uh, on a regular basis. I've I've watched the technology grow. I've I've helped actually create some of the FAA regulations that that govern drone technology today. And um, you know, I'm I'm glad to be part of the cutting edge uh, of the future technology. Uh, I work with with very exciting technology, and I work with a very exciting community uh, dealing with these issues. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, assuming sarcoidosis is uh, uh, not going to affect our lifespans, I think in your and my lifetime, we will see self-flying aircraft that are going to be available for us to, to board. Now, whether we can afford that ticket or not. Mm,
0: <laughs> interesting.
1: But uh, they will be there.
0: The market will have to decide that i guess right um so let's go let's get back to you because you started out by saying you and your wife uh compare heart rates when you're cycling which is actually something my wife and i do um not at every intersection but you know after we climb a big hill or whatever uh you know how high did your heart rate get added da, 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 da. on it's it's mostly uh, a little competitive thing um but uh, uh, I, I'm just curious, are you able still to work out the way that you like to do, whether it's on your bike or running or working out at the gym? Um, are you uh, still I, able I, to do that?
1: I, I am. Um, I was told to um, limit exertion at one point, um, and I actually bought an e-bike um, to limit my exertion, but still be able to participate. Mm-hmm. Um we, late in life, discovered the joy of bicycle touring. Um, and so we, we've we started taking bicycle touring trips. Mm-hmm. And um, we had a bicycle touring trip planned. And the, uh, uh, the my cardiologist, I have three different cardiologists, um, but they all basically um, said, have, you really shouldn't be exerting right now until we know what's going on. And um, I said, how about an e-bike? And um, they said, yeah. And I monitored my heart rate and I didn't let it exceed a certain amount. And I was able to participate in the bicycle tour on an e-bike. Um, and the, the joke was, you know, are you on Andy Power now? Or are you because you always have to be pedaling on So others can't tell whether you're getting the boost or not. You know, right. people like, right. like, oh, this is all Andy Power. Um, no, I'm using the boost. Um, and uh, but uh, and I, I participated uh, on that tour uh, with, with no real one minor incident where I had, um, a fit, during, during the ride. And I had to wait for it to dissipate. So,
0: okay. And All this right. was
1: before the pacemaker.
0: Where were you touring?
1: Um, we did something called the Katie trail in Missouri. Okay. It's, uh, about a 250 mile. I forget exactly. Uh, uh, rails to trail gravel, uh bike path that runs from, um, from uh, I forget where it starts. Um, and all the way into St. Louis. And we, we had all our stuff with us and stopped at different, uh, bed and breakfasts or small hotels along the way and had a, had a grand time.
0: So, Oh, that's awesome. I'm going to put uh, that, I'm going to, I'm writing down Katie trail as something for me to look at. And well, so- uh,
1: much, uh, our, our next target is the, uh, Cumberland, um, uh, Allegheny, uh, passage uh right here which is much closer it's right here in uh in you know uh it, it starts in pennsylvania or it goes into uh, maryland uh much closer to where you are right. and uh that that ride is our next that's our next tour for next summer
0: so, next summer yeah okay yeah.
1: and we, we did we also did one last summer we were in maine uh we did our our bike tour in maine so beautiful and, and i did that on a uh, on a regular um uh, some people are using the the term uh, acoustic bike um as a verse is an electric bike uh-huh. an acoustic bike electric guitar acoustic guitar
0: oh I've heard okay. This term, okay acoustic okay. bike it. acoustic um, bike. um and,
1: uh, so uh, i was I, I it was all andy power on that trip
0: nice good for you uh-huh. good for you well, maybe we can get together and ride bicycles someday. Oh, I'd love it. So, yeah, that would be that'd be awesome. Well, Andy, look, anything else you want to add before we close?
1: No, I just I, I'm glad you're doing what you're doing, and uh, I appreciate it. I look forward to uh, you know you, hearing interviews you do with with other uh, SARC fighters who are patients, and the the medical professionals who are also uh, doing the research that is going to hopefully find better treatments, and who knows, you know even a cure one day would be would be fabulous
0: but that really would be all right Andy. thank you so much
1: hey thank you i enjoyed it i feel like a zombie just feeding at and
0: Thanks again to Andy for sharing his story, and hopefully, maybe someday, we can all ride our bikes together, raise some money for sarcoidosis, and as to his work with unmanned autonomous, I guess that's redundant, autonomous flying vehicles, maybe Andy will be the guy that we don't get in our car and go to the mall, we all just call for an Uber drone and it comes and picks us up at our house. Wouldn't that be cool? The official Sark Fighter song, called Zombie, is by Mark Steyer and his band, the White Hot Lizards, from Alberta, Canada. Mark's story, the story behind his lyrics, because he's a fellow Sark Fighter, is back in episode 12. God, I can't believe that. The Sark Fighter podcast comes out every other Monday, as I mentioned just a while ago. My trusty boxer, Dougal, is curled up on the chair in my office he doesn't even look up when I say his name anymore, but he still makes my life so much better. The backstory to the founding for the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research, and you should listen to that interview, is episode 11 with Andrea and Redding Wilson. Don't forget to follow me on social media. Just search for Sarkfighter on Facebook, Instagram. I'm even on Peloton as Sarkfighter if you have a Peloton treadmill uh, or... Uh, bike in your house. My cycling blog is called Carl and the Cyclist, and there is a section there called Cycling with Sarcoidosis. If you are new and just trying to figure out what sarcoidosis is, just go back and listen to episode two with Dr. Simon Hart of the UK. My story is episode one. Please send me an email, as Andy did. It's very easy to reach me. It's in the show notes, carlinagency at gmail.com. Happy Thanksgiving, and until next time, keep fighting.